Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Here we are. We made it. January 1st, 2023. That's right. That's right. Woohoo! Go ahead and celebrate that. Here we are. Absolutely. Boy, for some of us, getting through 22 was like getting across the finish line of a super marathon, wasn't it? It was like, oh, running in hip-deep sludge. Others of us, it was a year of celebration and accomplishment, and there's so much goodness that's just pouring out of us, right? We all experience these days differently, but here we are. You know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. You, you look at worldwide New Year's is a big deal, right? Maybe you're one of those people, you watched it start in Australia, New Zealand, and work its way across the entire globe. You know, there was a day when I was up until midnight, I did that thing, man, and I was going to be there, and I was going to see it turn, whatever time zone I was living in. Now, Heidi and I, we celebrate British New Year, and like, if it's good enough for London, it's good enough for me. Good night. Right, so like we all do this a little bit differently, but but one way or another, here we are. And on the brink of this new year, like this is as fresh as it gets, it's January 1, it's as fresh as it gets. And on the brink of this, what we're going to do as we spend time together over the next number of weeks, we're going to take some time and we're going to allow God to recalibrate us on what it means for us to be us. All right, we're going to let God recalibrate us on what it means to be us. When we think about belonging, uh, we all want to belong. We, we search for, we long for belonging and think about the places where we belong. Maybe you belong to a gym. Maybe you're going to start tomorrow belonging to a gym. Uh, You belong to maybe a workplace. You belong to different clubs. You belong to a family. You belong to a neighbor. You think that we all long for these places where we belong. And it's been this fascinating thing that's that's been taking place. And it's not just uh, during COVID. It was even happening uh, pre-COVID. Like as the world has been rocking with division, people have been clamoring harder for those places where they belong. We look at this um, tribalism that grows deep roots and and it doesn't seem to do the work of creating unity, does it? It actually seems to foster even greater depths of division. And that's just the nature of the world in which we live. And it's the nature of the world in which you and I live. Like we've got to wrestle with those things. And even as we think about what does it mean to be the church, this notion of belonging, what does it mean to belong? And so we, we want to belong, right? You're, you're here, even if this is your first Sunday with us, like you're here, there's something you're searching for. If you've been here for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you're looking for that place of belonging. Sometimes what's, what's hard is when our community changes, Right? Some of you have been experiencing that here, even at Centerpoint. You, you look around and the makeup of the church is different than what you remember. 
over the last several decades, you're saying, my church is changing. Do I still even belong? Right? So this sense of belonging. And we can wrestle through those things and we can look at belonging from, from that perspective. But we're also challenged biblically to look at belonging a little bit differently. Right? If, if we are in Christ, if, if, if we have chosen to follow him, if we have received his, his new life in us, right? If, if we are his, then we belong to him. Ugh. That takes on a little bit different turn, doesn't it? Because when I think about where do I belong, it's my club, it's my gym, it's my neighborhood, it's my family, like those kinds of things. Um, I, like I choose it. I'm, I'm the one with the leverage in it. Like I'm choosing where I belong, right? And then we start looking at this notion that, that if, if I am in Christ, if, if I am redeemed by Christ, then I belong to him Got to wrestle with that a little bit, right? Because there's this peace inside all of us. Even those of us who are being transformed by Jesus, there's this place in all of us like, I don't belong to anybody. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Like, I'm not, but you women are probably saying that. So, like, I'm, I'm my own person. I don't belong to, yeah, we belong to him. It changes things a little bit, doesn't it? And here's a real kicker. As we belong to him, we belong to each other. It's actually, those are words that the Bible uses. We belong to each other. It's not just that we belong with each other. That one, okay. But we belong to each other. Hello. Anybody else feeling a little bit uncomfortable at this point? We might as well get there. It's January 1st. So let's just go ahead and embrace the discomfort. Let's, let's embrace what's awkward in this thing, right? We belong to each other. And again, we have been shaped, we have been formed by rugged individualism. I belong to myself. And it doesn't do the work for us that we sometimes think it's gonna. For God has shaped us, he has called us to belong to him and to belong to each other. And so over these weeks, we're going to explore what does Scripture say about belonging to him and belonging to each other? What are the implications on our lives? How does that change the way we think? How does that change our perspective? How does that change the lenses through which we see the world as we belong to each other? All right? You know, there's so many places, like this is, this is actually a huge uh, topic throughout Scripture. It's a huge topic throughout Scripture. We're going to anchor ourselves in about a dozen of the, the teachings of the New Testament in particular um, that, that teach us how to belong to one another. Kind of the one another phrases uh, that we find in the New Testament. Even then, we're not going to look at all of them. Right? I'm just saying that up front. There's about a hundred of them just in the New Testament. We're not looking at all of them. But we're going we're gonna to look at a set of these, of about a dozen of them that shape us, that mold us, that challenge us, that lead us into belonging to him and to each other. All right, so that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, forging a reorientation path in this new year. What does it mean to belong to him? What does it mean to belong to each other?
This is the road we're going to walk down together. Like I mentioned, this this is not new for God. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to set the stage for us, this context for us. God has always worked to reveal himself in and through community of his people. Let me say that again. God has always worked to reveal himself, to reveal his glory in and through his people. We see this in creation. What was the one thing of creation that wasn't good? It was when man was alone. And so God created a completer, a helper, community, that together, Scripture even teaches us, God said, let us make mankind in our own image. He used the language of plural to reflect his image into the world. God is community. The creator is community, and he created community. And the intention in that community that he would have his people that would reflect his glory into the world and reflect creation's praise back to him. It was the only part of creation that was designed to do that, to be marked by the image of the creator. And it was community. And even as that fell apart, what did he do? He made himself a community. He called Abraham, so it began with the call of one, and he created a community, a new nation, a people, where he would reveal himself to them and through them to all the world. That was always the plan of Israel. That God would show who he was to them and that they would show the world who he is. All right? I will bless you to be a blessing to all nations. And what we get in our Old Testament is the story of God revealing himself to the world through this fractured, broken people, the nation of Israel. And there were some times of spectacular glory and there were some times of colossal failure. And we're watching this take place. But God has always worked in community to reveal himself in and through his people. And then as Jesus comes, there's the one out of which flows this new community. And so this passage that we're going to look at today picks up where Jesus is, is, is drawing to a close his public ministry. He's drawing to a close his public ministry. And we're going to listen in to his prayer, right? And this is in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And before we go there, I'm going to pray for us. All right, let's do that together. Father... As we have been praising you together, uh, we just proclaim our trust in you, our gratitude to you. You have brought us here to this point. And without you, we won't be here. For some, Father, you have rescued from addiction that has plagued us for years but we have tasted freedom because of your grace and mercy. For some, you have sustained us in the midst of deep, painful loss through those that we have loved who have died, through those that we have loved that have left us. God, you have sustained us. Father, you have brought new children into our lives Through birth and adoption, you have grown our families, and we thank you for how you have done that. What a gift that is. 
There have been moments of incredible celebration with new jobs and new opportunities and graduations. And Father, we, we proclaim our gratitude to you as we look back on this year, knowing your hands have been all over it. We haven't always seen you in the moment, but we look back and we see your hands have been all over it. And we praise you. You are good you are strong, you are love, you are holy and righteous, you are just and kind, you are full of mercy, and your steadfast love endures for all generations. As we turn the corner into this year, we know that you don't you're not bound by time. You, you don't mark time the same way we do. You don't wipe the, the board clean and flip the calendar to January 1 and think there's this new beginning. You are the new beginning. And you are above and beyond time. But here we are, frailty with limits of time and space, and you meet us here. And so as we turn the corner into this new year, we do so with hopeful expectation that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. Father, would you sustain us when we are weak? Would you be our wisdom when we need to know what way to turn? Would you be uh, love alive in us when it seems like selfishness rules the day? God, we give ourselves to you in humble obedience as you lead faithfully forward. God, this is your church. One small little piece of your big, bold, beautiful church. This church is yours. Would you lead us forward? We, together, we've been experiencing so much change. Some of it's been wonderful and beautiful and good. Some of it has been hard and painful and lost. God, would you meet us in those places as your people and shape us as a people through which you are delighted to reveal your glory in us and through us to a world lost in darkness. Do a work in us, even today, Father, Do a work in us for your glory and even ultimately for our good. Let it be so. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're going to read uh, the last section here. It's broken down into three primary sections. This is Jesus praying. Hmm. But listen to this, beginning of verse 20. He's just prayed for his disciples, those who are with him. <clears throat> My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you, have, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. and They know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Mm, such richness, isn't it? Such richness. And we look at this, this passage today and in the fullness of what Jesus is praying here, we proclaim that in a world that is blowing up with division... Jesus himself, listen, in a world that is blowing up with division, Jesus himself is shaping a new community of Jesus-centered, love-fueled unity. This is what he is doing and what he's inviting us into. Imagine this for a moment, like Jesus is praying for you. There's not a lot of times where we get the content of Jesus' prayers. We, we get a lot through the Gospels that Jesus went off by himself to pray and to talk with the Father. We get glimpses of that. We know he did that. But, but to listen in on what he's praying is really something special that John gives us. Many of you have been experiencing family gatherings uh, during this holiday season, haven't you? And there's often a, a, an adult table, and then there's a, what? The kid table, right? Because there's adult conversation, and then there's kid whatever it is. Right? They fit in the shorter chairs, so put them over here. And, and so like, we, we, we make these divides. And a lot of us have experienced that in this holiday season. There have been different times in our family. We have somebody over, and um, you know, they're, they're friends for Heidi and me. Like, we've, we're, our kids are old enough. We're not just doing play dates for them anymore. We're doing play dates for mom and dad. And so we have uh, uh, grown-ups over. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, as the dinner table as the dinner table wraps up and we begin to to move into conversation, <clears throat> I've noticed something that uh, the older two kids we'll call them thing one and thing two uh, even now they they kind of scatter they they see that the conversation's about to get real they see that we're going to be talking about big ideas and those kinds of things are on the table which is just so soul filling um, but for them I gotta go. But one of the things that I've noticed, particularly over the last couple of years, thing three, my youngest, he's had this way of just lurking there at the table, right? He's not making any big pronouncements. In fact, what he's learned is that if he just sits quietly, he gets to listen to the conversation around the table. He gets to listen to mom and dad talk to whoever our guest is that evening as we talk about the, what's going on in the world and our perspectives and as we talk about our walk with Jesus and as we talk about theology and those kinds, which I know sounds like something you want to sign up for, doesn't it? I get that. But, but he's listening. He's, he, one of the things that I love about my youngest is he loves these big ideas. He loves ideas about the world. His, his mind is being shaped in such beautiful ways here. And so he's listening in. And, and an initial kind of thing might be like, hey, go away. 
we're talking here. But, but not doing that. I think God helped me not go against, you know, go, God helped me go against that impulse. Because for him to listen in, he's taking it in. He's learning. He's being shaped by that conversation. He's not participating in it. He's not like jumping in. He's not like saying, this is what I think. But he's listening. He's taking it in. And there's something about those moments that I've grown to just admire and respect and his ability to sit there and take those things in, right? This is what John is inviting us into. The son and the father are talking together. The son is talking in prayer. That's what prayer is. He's praying to the father. And John is inviting us just to sit by. Shh, listen. Listen. Listen to what the son says to the father. And it's this moment in life where Jesus begins his prayer to the Father by saying, Father, I have done what you've sent me to do. I have shown them who you are. And he's about to head to the cross where the mission is complete. Like, it's in these days. Listen, listen, listen. John is inviting you to just sit at the table and listen to how the son prays. What does the son pray for when he speaks of us? One, it's just mind-blowing to realize that he was praying for you. He was praying for you and you. He was praying for you. He was praying for me. Right? Did you hear those words? Father, I'm praying not only for them, his disciples, but for those who will believe in me because of their, the disciples' testimony, because of the, the ministry of the disciples and the apostles, because of the word that has spread from them, you and I believe. Even if you're here and you're wrestling with belief, those of us who, who believe do so because of them. That's who he's praying for. He's praying for us. And what does he pray for us? He prays that we might be one. That we would know unity. Jesus prayed for unity. As we listen to him talk about this unity, we get a a, a glimpse of what this oneness looks like. Unity is vital for the mission. Did you hear that woven into this? Let them be one so that the world will know that you sent me. The identifying characteristic of a church that shows the world who Jesus is and what he has come to do. The defining characteristic is this unity, Jesus-centered, love-fueled unity. This unity is not peripheral to why we exist. This unity is vital. It is vital to the mission that we were a part of, that the world might know. God is continuing to reveal himself to a lost and broken world, into the darkness of this world. And he is doing so as he reveals himself in and through the unity of his people. This unity is vital to the mission. Sometimes we're tempted to put those things at odds with each other. To say we're really going to be united and we're really going to cloister up together. We're going to guard ourselves. We're going to protect ourselves. And in doing that, we put up big walls so that others can't even peer through through a knot in the fence post. 
But Jesus doesn't allow it to be divided like that, these two things to be divided like that. So sometimes their temptation is to just, just us, and we're kind of afraid of the world. And then on the other end, sometimes what we do is we like forget the us, and I'm out there, I'm doing this thing, and I'm living living out there, baby, and we're moving forward in mission and we're connecting with the world to the neglect of the us. But Jesus draws these things together beautifully and powerfully. Unity is vital for the mission. Unity is vital for our experience of God. Unity is vital for our experience of God to knowing him. Unity is vital to knowing him, to walking in greater depths of intimacy with him. It requires that we belong to him and to each other. Unity is vital for our walk with God. Back when I was in seminary, so a few decades ago, I was studying to be a pastor, right? Seminary, that's the school where they teach us to be pastors. And so I was studying for this, and my uncle was a bit of a, an antagonistic skeptic, but I was one of the people in the family that he would talk about spiritual things with. But he always liked to begin by kind of poking. He was a journalist and then a journalism professor at a state university, so he loved to, to poke on these things when it comes to issues of Jesus and faith. And one of the things that he would continually poke on is... Um, could I be a Christian if I was just alone on a desert island? That would be kind of one of his what ifs. Like, well, you're not alone on a desert island, so why would you neglect what's going on here? Well, but if you could, but you're not, right? So we'd go back and forth because, well, I'm family, so I can poke right back. And so we would have those conversations. <clears throat> but it boiled down to this whole notion of, can it, can it just be me and Jesus Whatever the world's going on, whatever the church, like the church is faulty and all that kind of stuff. It's just me and Jesus. There is a personal aspect to our faith that is undeniable. But there is a communal, united aspect of our faith that is just as undeniable. Our unity is vital for our experience of God, for knowing him and walking with him. And this unity cannot be forced or manipulated. Because many of us have experienced a coerced unity right? A forced unity. And it becomes very much about behavior modification. Behave a certain way. Speak using certain words. And that's the gate into a belonging. But Jesus invites us into this thing that he's doing something completely different than that. It's not a forced, coerced, or manipulated unity. It is a work of God in us and through us. That bears witness to who he is. Unity is vital to these things. And it cannot be a forced, coerced, or manipulated unity. There's also this dynamic as he talks about it where it is a... Um, it is a part of what the, the scripture will call our sanctification process, right? Our growth in Christ, sanctification, our growth in Christ and becoming like him and being forged in a character that glorifies him in the world in which we live. This unity that we have is not just a poof. There it is. It's something we give ourselves to and we, we work as a part of. See, because to live in this kind of unity is a continual process of giving up of self. 
That's why we don't like it. We give up self. Like, I'll, I'll belong somewhere as long as I can keep myself. But that's not the invitation that Jesus makes of him or of his people. And so we wrestle with these things. Wrestle with them. Like, it's my encouragement. Wrestle with it. Like, if you're wrestling with it, you're being honest with it. If you're dismissing it, you're not being honest with it. It requires much of us to be one. And it's something that is continually forged in us as we submit ourselves in humility to God through his spirit. And we notice this too, even as Jesus prayed for unity, that Jesus is the unifier. Jesus is the unifying force of this unity. Like it is all about Jesus. It is unity formed around Jesus. And this unity formed around Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he is continuing to do in this day, this unity formed around Jesus spreads across barriers of tradition and politics and ethnicity and gender. It spreads across everything. And we see those things talked about throughout the New Testament and what it looks like to have a oneness shaped that transcends the boundaries that you and I have so often made and participated in. It is a oneness that transcends all of this. And I'll be honest, one of the things that we, we, we have experienced in our day, not just here at Centerpoint, but, but in beyond, is this dynamic where we are letting other things be the filter through which we experience oneness. And so if, if you can't abide with a with a brother or sister, a person who is in Christ, and you can't abide with somebody who is a part of a different race or culture, then that ought to be a check in your spirit about what really is the source of oneness. If you can't abide with a brother or sister who engages politically different than you, then what you are doing is you are saying our politics is what unites us. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.